the best part about real estate is knowing that I'm building something that's going to provide passive income, whether I can work or not. And I actually think about that and think, you know, by my retirement age, am I going to make it all the way there? And I want to start building for that time now. So the best part is partnering with people, improving yourself, and knowing that you're taking care of your family and your investors' families. Hello, hello. Welcome to the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. I interview the top commercial real estate investors and industry experts so you can learn from their experiences. So if you're an investor, a high W-2 earner or real estate or tech sales professional that wants to invest in real estate without having to manage properties or leave your day job, then this podcast is for you. Or if you're already investing in real estate, but you're doing it part-time and you want to become a full-time multifamily or full-time commercial real estate investor, this podcast is for you too. You're going to learn a ton. You will learn from real-life multifamily investors and other professionals in the industry. They're going to share their blueprints for success. And I'm super excited that you're here. So I hope you enjoy the show. All right. Hello, hello. My name is Abel Pacheco with the Five Talents Commercial Real Estate Podcast. We're so excited to have Mr. Daniel Homeland. Thank you, Daniel, for joining, man. Just very appreciative. Hey, Abel. It's great to be here. Thank you for having me on your show. Oh, man. I'm uh, sincerely appreciative. I heard your your name, a referral, a connection on Whitney Sewell Podcast, on a couple other things, and just you know, now I'm very happy that I have the opportunity to interview with you because I know you're doing some amazing things in your area of the world and would love to just dig in here, man. So thank you. Thank you. Great. Great. Let's do it. Well, so for my listeners and, and our network, let me just, you know, first give a little bit of background on why I wanted Daniel to come on the show. And then Daniel, I'll turn it back over to you for a full introduction, right? So Daniel is full-time, not a real estate investor, but full-time in a tech job today, tech W2 job at Intel. And so me and him have one of those paths where, you know, we we're very connected. I'm a tech guy. He's a tech guy. I did that for years. So did he, but I just love the story of a full-time W2 employee that's taken those years, that dollar, that hard-earned, you know, capital that he's made at work and invested in multifamily, so which is super awesome. But he's a software developer and a community manager there at Intel. And then he also used that opportunity to reach a lot of other tech investors and started his own real estate investment club, which as of probably June is probably higher than this now, but you have about 700 active members. And, you know, all through this, you know, you've taken your, your hard-earned capital, hard-earned money and invested in over 900 doors, both actively and passively. And you're a general partner, a GP yourself in, a, in over 600 doors. You recently just closed another 145 unit deal, uh, all while working full-time, my friend. So that is awesome. Daniel, thank you very much. Why don't you, you know, give us a little bit more, you know, who you are, what you do and what you're doing now, man. We'd love to hear all that good stuff. Sure. Thanks, Abel. So my name's Daniel Homland, and for me, my real estate investment journey really started quite a while ago when I was about, and this is when it started, but when some of the ideas started to take form, you know, when you're young and you have, you know, large life events, they impact you. And this particular one was my grandparents passing away. 
And I was 10 years old at the time. And I was sitting around in the living room and listening to my parents discussing, you know, we need to sell the farm that they're on. And what do we do? Oh, they've got this apartment building. How are we going to, you know, distribute that? At the time, they actually owed more taxes than they could pay. So they had to sell part of the estate in order to cover the taxes. And through the course of that conversation, one thing that I realized was my, my grandpa on my mom's side, he worked for International Harvester, a tractor company, and he was a mechanic there. And he worked there his entire working life until he retired. And I think he was in his early 60s when he retired. And at that point, my grandma said, hey, let's get together with your brother and sister and partner on buying an apartment complex. And they went all out. They bought 120 units in Aurora, Illinois. They partnered with it. It's a big deal. deal. But you know, that was back in the 80s, early 80s. Okay. And so, you know, it really wasn't done. I mean, people invested in apartment buildings then, but it doesn't have quite the height that it has now. Yeah, yeah. And so then listening to all the estate talk, one thing that I realized was, is that my my grandpa worked his entire life and did not really make a substantial amount until he retired and invested Mm. in real estate. Mm. And that's when his wealth began, how his wealth grew. That's why my parents had a problem because they had an estate that they had to deal with. And they they were figuring out how to deal with this. And they wouldn't have had that problem had my grandparents not been successful in real estate after they retired. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. And so I took that with me. And, you know, I also have a lot of the, their uh, genes in me and that I like to be involved in business deals. And I think it's a great way of bettering yourself and challenging yourself. Mm -hmm. So being involved in real estate is, is definitely a competition for me, as well as just being able to partner and meet people. But I started my real estate career, perhaps in earnest right after college. And it was, you know, with the limited amount of real estate education that I had, it was basically doing fix and flips. Mm-hmm. And I did a couple of those in the Chicago area. Mm-hmm. And that was, uh, you got your computer and electrical engineering degree from the University of California, Davis. So right after you got your, that yeah. degree, then you're like, okay, let, let me do real estate yeah, also. Well, and you know, let me back it up there a little yeah, bit, yeah. just because, so my father's side of the family, that's all the engineers. And I went okay. through college, I got my degree in computer and electrical engineering. Mm-hmm. I worked in Silicon Valley during the 2000 bubble. Okay. And when that popped, uh, I also had severe carpal tunnel in my hands because I had been working at a startup and I actually had to quit my job or and any job that involved typing because oh it had just gosh. become too painful. And so I I moved to Chicago and I worked with my uncle on the Chicago Board of Trade. He was a trader down in the 10-year bond pit. So I I was actually standing down in the 10 year bond pit with him. He was buying and selling in the pit. You know, I'm going to, I want to buy 50 papers traded. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, It's exactly it. He was on the floor and I was sitting there in the middle of that. And he hired me on actually to be the person that ran his computer monitor because a (laughs) a lot of the liquidity in the bond pit was moving from being verbally agreed upon with Mm -hmm. people shouting at each other on either Mm -hmm. sides of the bond pit to on screen. And my uncle was seeing the writing on the wall. All of his business that he had done was moving onto a computer. That was 2002. So it was all moving on there. And eventually, you know, it's it's almost all computerized now. Uh, So I was doing that and then also flipping houses on the side. And after a while doing that, 
I went back to my my roots. I went to Bank of America and was involved in their foreign currency transaction systems as a developer. And after that, I actually moved overseas and decided to volunteer in France for four years. And the lesson that I learned in real estate there was that since I was a volunteer, I needed to come up with, I raised money from organizations that were going to help send me over there. But I also wanted to supplement my income. So I started doing hard money loans. Okay. From France back to the US. <laughs> wow. Yeah. yeah, it was interesting. I had to learn how to, you know, talk with people that are doing due diligence, talk with the appraisers, find a group of rehabbers who would be interested in, you know, getting loans from me and people that I trusted. Mm-hmm. And so I did that. I was I was over in France volunteering for about four years. And when my daughter was born, we decided to bring her back. And how many years in France? Sorry. Four and a half. Okay. Yeah. And so that was in 2010 that I came back. In 2008, my hard money loan career came to an abrupt stop with obviously a lot of other people's real estate careers in 2008. And so in that particular time, I had my rehabber. He started actually avoiding my calls. You know, that's never a good thing. No. And so I finally got a hold of him. It took me a couple of weeks, actually. And he uh, said, hey, Daniel, I know you lent me the money to buy a house and fix it up, but you're not getting your money back. Uh, I've got, you know, a dozen other houses that are, and the property prices are tanking and we're underwater on all of them. So you're not getting your money back. Well, really? Are you going to deed me the house? And after some negotiation that wasn't really all that pleasant, he deeded me the house. Yeah. And so I carried it as a rental until about 2015. And it was a wholly owned rental house and gave a pretty good chunk of income. Mm-hmm. So after that, I discovered real estate syndication, and that's where I've been ever since. Oh, wow. That's a background. That's a background yep. for sure, man. In everything that you've done, definitely take a windy path. You know, give us a little bit of wisdom through that. What did you learn? And, you know, what, some takeaways, you know, if you can summarize it in, in a couple of those, because this is very interesting so far, man. Yeah. Being remote was one of the biggest takeaways that I had. You can invest in real estate from remote locations. And currently with the internet and with services being online, there's more than enough technology to make an informed and good decision about a piece of real estate that you've never seen. Yeah. So that was one huge key takeaway. And that's how I invest nowadays. I'm in Portland, Oregon. Yeah, you learned that. I'm in Portland, Oregon. I I don't invest here. (laughs) Yeah. So, and then another big, key takeaway is, is that you have to have team members that you trust and you know, and that have got your back. I mean, and that's what we promote actually at my external website. Do you mind if I mention it? Absolutely. Please. It's winmultifamily.com. And at this site, we work together with different partners and share our experiences about investing in real estate. So it's a community site and we talk together there. And uh, a lot of people that I'm working with at my Intel real estate group. I bring to that group externally and we do real estate syndications together. Yeah. Oh, that's awesome. That's really cool. So when you say community site, like there's engagement back and forth and I can can contribute or or get from. I'm working on it more. Mostly it's a site and there's Zoom calls now, but uh, I'm working on getting it online. Oh, that's great. I I think that uh, there's a lot of value there. What you said, being remote reigns true today. If you learned it back then, you know, that gives you a lot of the encouragement to go take the next step. And single family, 
I also did the same for about 10 years. And it wasn't until like nine years into it that I bought my first property sight unseen. You know, that was a big, big jump for me, right? Big leap. But now, yeah, we try to set foot on all the properties in the multifamily. I'm sure, you know, you do as well, the due diligence, but the, all the pre-work, you know, the market, the, you know, investigation, the due diligence, the comps, there's so much that you can do before you're even have to get on a plane and travel anywhere. You could just, you know, do the majority of that work there. And, and it sounds like you leverage that a lot today. Oh yeah, definitely. I do like that, you know, all the negotiations with the brokers that's, you know, online when you're reviewing OMs that they're sending out to you, you, you know, you can get a, a decent picture of what the property is. You can do your own research on sites like, you know, <laughs> Google Maps and Justice Map and various other crime index maps. Uh, you can get a good feel for an area. Mm-hmm. And then also through just podcasts like this, you get to know people that you can work with on taking down properties. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What markets do you invest in today? So you live in Portland and then you invest in? So I, I'm a, a general partner in two properties in Houston, 122 unit and 196 unit. Mm-hmm. We have a 172 unit in Memphis mm-hmm. and we just closed on the 145 unit in Fort Smith, Arkansas. Oh, that's awesome. That's so kind of Texas, Midwest, Sunbelt, yeah, those yeah. areas. Areas wow. that have you know good income producing properties and properties that aren't necessarily so highly valued that they're not going to produce income on a regular basis. Yeah. Roughly speaking, how much are you paying per door in this Texas Midwest area? Oh, well, so Fort Smith recently is a a very uh, inexpensive market compared to some, we paid a little over 27 K a door, I believe. Okay. For that particular deal. Yeah. Um, but then it goes up, you know, Memphis is a little more expensive and then Texas is more expensive on top of that. Yeah. So yeah. 27 K door. Yeah. Under 27. Some of them, you're like, this is a deal. Let's go do that deal. <laughs> yep. It was a great, no, go ahead. No, no, no. I'm going to start going on on this deal because it was a great deal. This is a great time to talk about it. Like I have other questions before I forget the fact that you're working remotely from Portland, Oregon and looking at other properties. I have a feeling a few of our guests are interested in figuring out how to start those broker relationships. So that would be great to talk about. But since you're on the opportunity, like let's hear about this. This is the most recent one that you're talking about, the 145 unit? Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Tell us all about it. All right. So it's it's 145 units down in Fort Smith, Arkansas. We acquired it for $4.9 million. The raise was about $2.3 million. So that includes both the down payment on the property as well as the renovation budget. Yeah. It's a light value add. So interior renovations, we we're doing interior renovations, but a lot of it is fixing deferred maintenance, so things that haven't been kept up as well. And then we also got a fair amount of land with this. And so we're putting in some exterior amenities, pergola, dog park, a barbecue pit, things like that. It's a really good deal because of the financials and also the economy there. The economy there right now, unemployment's at 3.2%. It's hard to beat that. <laughs> still, And that's during COVID. Yeah. It's at that rate. And then we bought into it at a price point that gives us a 55% break-even occupancy. So oh, when we're awesome. going to our investors and saying, hey, you know, a lot of people are worried out there. The stock market's going up and down. Uh, people are worried about real estate prices dropping. People are worried about, you know, Bitcoin or whatever else they happen to be invested in. 
this particular deal, we have a 55% break-even occupancy, which means that we're going to run profitable as long as we're above 55%. So this is a great deal to act as a, a store of capital or a capital preservation deal. So if you think times are uncertain, then real estate with the right buy-in and good cash projections over the next you know, three to seven years is a great way to preserve your capital. Mm-hmm. Yeah, absolutely. Oh, that sounds great. Keep going. I wanna, you have more. Yeah, yeah. I, I want to touch back on what you said earlier because you mentioned working with brokers. Yes. And I don't actually work with very many brokers. I let okay. my partners do that. Okay, cool. And, yeah. and the reason why is, like you said, I have a full-time job. Mm-hmm. And so working with brokers is also a full-time job and it has to be done during <laughs> business hours. Mm-hmm. And so I partner on you know things that can be done after business hours for the most part. So a lot of investor relations, potentially asset management, dealing with you know CPAs. It, some of that goes into business hours a little bit, talking to CPAs and tax attorneys, things like that. But mainly things that could be done remotely and are not necessarily done during business hours. Sure. So for the most part, my strategy has been to partner with people who find the properties. And then we work together as a team. I also raise capital and bring in liquidity and we take the property down. Yeah, that's awesome. We'll break this down, right? Because I think we have a, a few of our listeners that more than a few are passive investors. They're just like us. They're tech, they're in sales, they're working full time. They want to invest in real estate. They want to leverage the power of it, but they have professional careers that they're probably not going to leave. And and the flip side, they don't want to manage, you know, tenants, toilets, termites, that stuff, right? So one of them is the break-even occupancy, the price per door, things like that that you paid for. So Daniel mentioned that the 55% break-even, when you're doing underwriting or analysis, you're putting it all on this you know, huge spreadsheet and you're figuring out what's my purchase price, what's the interest rate, what's my loan, what's my loan to value. You, know, you put all these data points in there and it tells you, oh, how much am I going to pay for the property? What kind of return can we get? And that's underwriting. And then you look at the sensitivity analysis. Some people call it a stress test, a break-even occupancy point. It basically tells you, hey, if 145 of those units are available, he can get down to 70 or whatever 55% of 145 is, so 70 people or something. He can lose half of his tenants and they can still make the payment to the mortgage, to the note. And that's how they know it's a capital preservation deal. The odds or chances, I don't know if they're going to 50% have to have some pretty poor management and I'm sure you're not going to manage it poorly, but that's you know just a point on that. So that's a really great find. And when I ask about brokers, you know, another point is like, well, Daniel's working full-time. So you're a full-time uh, you know, IT professional software developer at Intel, a great, mm-hmm. you know, recognized company. It's hard to, you know, you're not going to take off, you know, multiple hours during the day. You've got your job to do. Let's talk about this, Daniel, because this is super interesting for me. This is what I did for years. How do you juggle having a full-time job? And you talked about a couple of these, but tell us how you juggle that yourself and, you know, doing multifamily syndication all the while, you know? Yeah. So a lot of it's about time management. Usually the first thing I do in the morning is, uh, especially on Mondays, is I start laying down all the different tasks that I'm do on a half hour block basis for the week. And I usually get to about Wednesday, to be honest, because then it starts to become a little more difficult to predict. So first thing I do is I lay out everything that I'm going to do. I tend to do asset management calls around 7 a.m. in the morning 
because a lot of these properties are on the East Coast and nice. the property managers are willing to talk at 7 a.m. Mm-hmm. So I'll do property asset management calls early in the morning for the most part. Mm-hmm. And then at noon, I take my lunch break and I usually record a podcast at that point. Nice. So, it. which is great. It, you know, it's like sitting down, especially during the middle of COVID where we're all kind of confined to our houses. You know, you get yeah. to sit down and talk to somebody else who, you know, is experienced in the real estate industry and has insights into the real estate industry that maybe you don't have. So um, I usually record three or four, you know, lunches out of the week. And then after that, a lot of what we do is, you know, email. So that can be done after work hours. And that tends to be how I I juggle the two of them. We do a fair amount of underwriting as well. Most of my partners do the majority of the underwriting, but I certainly sit down and look at it and make sure that I agree with their underwriting. Mm -hmm. So, you know, that definitely takes time doing due diligence on properties, making sure that you have a way set up of communicating with people. So we tend to use Google Drive or Dropbox. We tend to use Slack if we're communicating. We tend to use you know, Zoom for video calls. It's all pretty standard stuff, to be honest. (laughs) I have a feeling standard to us, but a lot of operators and a lot of syndicators. Oh yeah, that's the project management thing, right? But some individuals that are, you know, they've been in real estate for so long. They're like, what? A virtual, a Zoom, a Dropbox, you know, we need to meet face-to-face. We need to shake hands. And... (laughs) And it's just, it's a different time and place. What better mm-hmm. way to capitalize on it? So that that's awesome, man. And mm-hmm. y- your partners, how did you find them? How did they find you? Were you guys together? Did you guys kind of network? How did you fall into you know the, the opportunity to partner with each other? Hello, hello. This is Abel Pacheco, your host for the Five Talents Podcast. After listening to a few episodes, Deep down, do you know that multifamily and commercial real estate investing is one of the best ways to create financial freedom? If you said yes to that question and you are where I was a few years ago, then I'd absolutely love to connect with you. A few years ago, I started personally consuming a ton of real estate education. I traveled all over the country, as many real estate conferences and seminars that I could go to. I took 200 plus hours of real estate education. I spent thousands of dollars along the way. And I did this because I knew the path to financial freedom for me and my family was through commercial real estate and syndication. So if you've made a similar decision, I'd love to connect with you. And potentially in the future, I'd love to partner with you as well. Take a moment, go to 5tcre.com forward slash invest and I'd love to set up a time to talk. Yeah, so finding partners is critically important and knowing that you can trust them is critically important. The first two deals that we did was actually with a group out of Houston. You know, investing mainly in the Houston area. Mm-hmm. And this is how I found my on-ramp into multifamily investment. So it's hard to break into this industry. There are tons of people out there that just listen to podcasts all day long, and they've got lots of head knowledge, and they have no idea how to start. Mm -hmm. And so on a very practical level, here's what I did to start. Yeah. So I found a group that was doing a webinar. They actually had an outreach campaign that they called their strategic partner campaign. Mm -hmm. And basically what they were doing is they were trying to grow their network 
by saying to their limited partners in deals, hey, you're a limited partner in our deal. If you're interested, we will give you tasks to do in the syndication deal that you're invested in to help you get a feel for what a real estate syndication operation actually does. So this will help you get some experience and some on-ramping into the business. And so the first property that I invested in was 56 units, a small place called Sycamore Gardens down in in Houston, Texas, in the Pasadena area down in the Southeast. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I invested 75,000 in that. This is a business where you do tend to need capital to get started. It definitely and freaking helps. It's uh, it's it, it it can be difficult otherwise, um, unless you you know you either are the work partner or you're the capital partner. Yeah. So you need to develop skills in both of those areas in order to participate. To participate in one of those ways really just means you're adding value to your group. Yep. But so I invested passively. I put seventy five k into Sycamore Gardens down in Houston. And the group there, they contacted me and they had me do little jobs. So uh, one of the things I did for them was I found the top 15 property management companies in Houston, made a list of all of them. And then I found the top 10 people at each of those property management companies and kind of (laughs) looked at them on LinkedIn and on their personal sites and wrote notes about each one and came up with a strategy for headhunting. 150 people. And I sent them this spreadsheet. They're a rapidly growing group. They're called Three Pillars Capital down in Houston. They're a rapidly growing group and they were looking to hire great property managers. So I I sent them this spreadsheet and they said, thank you very much. (laughs) And, uh, you know, we had a lot of good email back and forth conversation and I got to know these people. Yeah. And so the next time they had a deal, they actually said, hey, Daniel, you did a great job. I, I did a few other tasks. I helped them with planning their zero maintenance landscaping for the property. I also helped them with calling around in Houston and finding appliances like ranges that maybe they've got scratches in the back, the part you put towards the wall, and the ranges are on a discount because of that. So I, I called around and found you know cheaper appliances for them. So I, I did tasks that you could do remotely. And we had a good working relationship. And on the next deal, they invited me to be part of their deal, to sit in on some of the asset management calls, to help with the initial purchase of the building, and also to raise capital. So now I'm, I'm involved with them. We got three syndications together, or two, two that I'm a general partner in. Yeah, baby. Uh, the, the second one, I helped sign on the loan for. Yeah. Um, and signing on a loan is a, a delicate and tricky thing because... <laughs> Brokers, for instance, most loan brokers won't give you the time of day unless your name is on a loan. There are lots of wannabe people that, you know, don't necessarily haven't done a deal. Mm -hmm. And a broker isn't going to spend their time with people who they don't think is going to close a deal. And so getting your your name on a loan is a really important process. And this was, of course, a non-recourse loan. It was great building and it's operating well right now. In fact, I just got a report that said it's 80% done with its renovations and is slightly behind schedule due to COVID. They're 5% behind their predicted number of units that they thought they were going to have renovated in that time. But nonetheless, it's going to you know be done by the middle next year and give a good return. Man, that's awesome. So let me pause you because there's so many good things that I want to hit on, right? If you are a full-time W-2 employee and you're trying to figure out how to invest your money, 
one of the best ways to kind of understand or to feel confident, to have competence, to know if you're investing in the right kind of deal, asset class with team market is you have a lot of time to do research. I heard blocking your schedule 30 minutes in advance. Daniel's talking about doing this on his general partner active duties. But man, if you're just talking about investing your own dollars first, try doing that and learn about multifamily syndication. Learn about the markets you were thinking about investing, learning about the mechanics and blocking those off in 30 minute times, time slots. And if you're not a podcast host like Daniel is today, then you can also take your lunch and listen to podcasts. Those just very tactical, practical uh, things that you can be doing to learn and gain more knowledge as a passive investor is only going to help you. And then for those that are listening that are, you know, I know there's a lot of listeners that are trying to get on their first deal as a general partner or principal. I think that was brilliant, man. You you work for free, which I've we've, we've heard a lot, but very few people have actually said what they do for fr- like how they do it. And you gave two or three just really good nuggets in a market, researching a property manager, going to their website, probably making a few calls, putting it on an Excel sheet, name, phone number, email address, contacts, how many employees they have, what kind of properties they manage, A class, B class. And really doing a lot of that work is very time consuming work, but it you learned a lot, I'm sure. And mm-hmm. you provided a ton of value to your general partner team. Mm-hmm. Same thing with the zero scape landscaping, the appliances, the discount appliances, all that stuff is like, man, that's awesome, dude. That's really awesome. They loved you. I know they did. <laughs> that's what they're like. We need to get him on the team. And that's why they invited me to be a general partner in one of their next deals. And you know what? I should also back up a little bit and say, sure. I probably listened to podcasts and read books for eight to 12 months before I decided to really pull the trigger. Yeah. I, I definitely, I'm an engineer and I suffer from engineer-itis and overanalyzing everything. And it did, <laughs> it took me a while to get to the point where I felt comfortable doing this. And I, I think that's true for a lot of people. And that's one of the main reasons why people don't get started is because, you know, they don't know what they don't know. And so they, they take a lot of time to educate themselves and they either don't do enough of that or they do too much of it without taking action. So there's definitely a learning curve to this business. Thank you for sharing that. We do, and I have worked with a ton of engineers over my years. I've been a sales guy in tech forever, right? So forever. My 13 years out of my 20 years in sales have been uh, 13 of those in tech. And number of engineers you know, would tell me when they're helping me engineer or architect a solution to sell, we'd sell IT hosting. And so we'd figure out how to you know, put together the load balancers and the structures of the, you know, how, how much the, you know, bandwidth needed to go through, which pipes and how to, you know, architect the solution. And they would say, well, we, we needed more information. And I would, I would try, actually, I was the opposite. And I would say, dude, let's just sell them a bigger solution or size it down and tell them we're not sure of the limitations. We'll give them the full transparency, full disclosure. We'll tell them the risk and the caveats. And if they're comfortable moving forward and making a business decision, on that risk, then they're accepting it up front or transparent or full disclosure. If your solution breaks, it's not going to be on you. We gave them all the disclosures. If they're worried about the risk, they can buy the next bigger solution and get a bigger firewall, get a bigger throughput, get more bandwidth, and they can pay for it, right? And a lot of times it was like, well, we need the right solution. And 
and that was so hard to overcome. And sometimes these deals were like, you know, 10, 20, 30, 40, you know, million dollars when you start to account for everything. And you're like, this is, uh, this is, this is a lot of dollars. They're really ready to move forward. Let's, let's move forward. And it's hard. So what advice would you give to that engineer or somebody like yourself to overcome that? Like, how, how do you get past that? I'm sure it's taken you some, some real cycles and, and energy, you know, to, to do so in your, in your experience. Yeah, the best way to get over your analysis paralysis is to find partners who know more than you and, you know, start working with them. You on your first deal will not know everything. You won't even know close to it. You're you're a beginner, you're a neophyte. But that's why you need to go and find somebody who's more experienced than you are and work with them. That's the way this entire business works. You know, if you want to, t- if you want to approach a loan broker, a loan broker is not going to give you the time of day until you have at least one deal under your belt. So you have to partner with somebody and do a deal before a broker will even talk to you. So the only way to get yourself out of the analysis paralysis and you know continual education cycle with no action mm-hmm. is to go find people who are more experienced than you and work with them and. You know, find your tribe and work with them to provide the best value you can for your tenants and your investors. Yeah, that's awesome. If when you partner with somebody who's been there, done that, it's much easier. You know, to, easier. to to kind of go through the process. We're invested in you know a bunch of doors too, and I would have never thought that I was going to be you know do it so quickly. But now that I look back on it, I did none of this stuff alone. There was absolutely no way I could have jumped in my first you know seven, ten, twenty million dollar deal without someone who's already been there, done that, and, you know, made it very simple for me to learn through the process, just, you know, like Mm -hmm. anything else, right? Mm -hmm. And I'm not even saying that you have to go find a mentor necessarily. Your business partner can be your mentor. You know, instead of paying somebody, you know, $30,000 in order to be a part of their program and maybe not ending up with a deal, go Mm -hmm. find somebody who's done a deal and, you know, try to be of value to them. If you can find that person, then, you know, I think school of hard knocks in the sense of you're partnering with someone more experienced than you are is the best way to go about breaking into this business. Yeah. Yeah, absolutely. Well, thank you so much. So, so I want to take a few minutes and try this. We're going to do a fast five questions. So this is the first time I've done it on our podcast. And Daniel, I, I know you do it yourself. So I'm actually going to use your questions that you ask a bunch of other people. And I would love to hear the same from you, man. So we'll just go into it and we'll jump in. You've, you've been an amazing value thus far. And I'm, I'm just very appreciative that uh, we had a few minutes, man. So this fast five, right? What's the best part about being a real estate investor? The best part about being a real estate investor is partnering with other people and growing as a person, as an investor, stretching yourself, pushing your own capabilities. The other reason I do it actually is I've got a really big back problem. And I know that like, for instance, this is the first day I've recorded in four weeks because I've been in a bed, bedridden for about three and a half weeks. And it's only now I'm really starting to move around. The best part about real estate is knowing that I'm building something that's gonna provide passive income whether I can work or not. And I actually think about that and think, you know, by my retirement age, am I going to make it all the way there? And I want to start building for that time now. So the best part is partnering with people, improving yourself and knowing that you're taking care of your family and your investors' families. And yeah, 
Yeah, that's awesome. It's such a big reason. It's so important, so valuable, you know, to know that our loved ones and family members and, you know, our investors, right? They have similar, probably if not the same dreams, desires, hopes, and goals. And, you know, all of ours are in alignment. We want to do amazing mm-hmm. things. So that's awesome. And who is your, uh, the question I believe you ask, maybe you can make sure it's right, but who's your ideal partner or client today? So my ideal partners are investor partners, people that are interested in either A, being completely passive and they want to invest their, their, their money and get a great return and great tax benefits, or B, people that are interested in learning how to find that on-ramp to multifamily investment. And over at winmultifamily.com, we, we work and talk with both sets of people. We really try to help people learn what they need to know in order to be successful in multifamily. All right. So those are the two people, either complete passive investors or people that are actively bettering themselves and their real estate investor careers. Yep. And would you like our network to reach out to you, my friend? <laughs> of course, of course. And I, I asked that because, you know, there's a lot of new investors that are, you know, watching some of these podcasts and seeing some of the numbers and seeing some of the, how many hundreds of millions of dollars were invested in and doors and, you know, if, if you're like me, you know, at the beginning, I was like, oh, I don't know if I could reach out to that person. They seem like way up here. We forget sometimes that we do a, a lot of this podcast and we try to bring a lot of exposure so that we can have investors reach out to us. So that's the reason I asked. So Daniel, I'm sure you'd be happy to, to have a conversation with anybody that does reach out, right? Absolutely. I love mentoring people too. I've got several people at Intel that I mentor in terms of it. And, you know, we never talked about the real estate investment club at Intel. I'm going to save that for the end. That's 100% for sure. On the fast five, right? What's a mistake you made or someone else, you know, someone close to you made? What did you learn from that mistake? So one mistake that I've made is being a general partner. You're always learning to improve your skills. I think a lot of people think of real estate investors as having some incredible hoard of wealth because they're buying large buildings. The mistake that I made was I've learned to value my time more. One of the first deals that I did, I was a 2% partner. So in other words, I got 2% of the general partnership, which is not a whole lot. You know, it's a small amount and it's an incredible amount of work to bring these investments to the public. And so learning to negotiate with people and to value my own time, I think has been something that I'm, I'm still working on, frankly. Yeah, that's awesome. Well, that thank you for the insight. It's important. We do a ton of work. You're trying to earn yours. In the beginning, you're new. You're taking kind of whatever percentage yeah. he's willing to share. But my mentor and coach or one of my coaches that I meet with on a weekly basis, he said, you know what? Yeah, man, 2%. It's okay. Because on the next one, you're going to get three. Maybe the next one, you're going to get six. And the next one, you'll get 20. And the next one, you'll be 40. And you just kind of keep growing from there. And that's what he told me is like, man, you get your card punched. And now you're, you're going to have more value and more experience. And, you know, I agree mm-hmm. with them hundred percent. So that, that's awesome. That's how you start a track record. That's it, baby. Okay. And so a book, a website, a resource, something that's helped you on your investor journey. So I'm going to recommend the book, Sizing People Up, a Veteran FBI Agent's User Manual for Behavior Prediction. Wow. And this is written by Robin Dreek and Cameron Stouth. And wow. uh, this actually was a book that I read with a book club book club of real estate investors. So it was a bunch of real estate investors. We met on Zoom. We talked about uh, this book. And this book is 
really interesting towards getting to know and understand what motivates people and the different types of people and the different ways that you can work together positively, you know, and avoid negative confrontations. It was just a very insightful book. So yeah. Sizing People Up by Robin Dreek and Cameron Stealth. Man, that's awesome. Thanks for sharing that one. So I want to give one more, actually. Please, please. I love I love the Due Diligence Handbook for Commercial Real Estate Who wrote by that Brian one? Hennessy. That's a great book. I'm a very practical person. I love books that have lists of things and show you how to put together ideas and execute on business plans. And this was just one of those books that I learned a lot from. Oh, thank you. I haven't, I haven't heard of the book, but that sounds like you said, practical list, man, pull it out. Sounds like you probably pull it out while you're on due diligence <laughs> on, on the yeah, property, yeah. right? It's on my Kindle. <laughs> yeah, that's awesome. Okay. Well, well, that's great. So thank you very much. You know, the last thing that I really wanted to discuss, and I kind of saved this for the end because I was really excited to learn more about it. You started an investor club at work, Intel. I work at Rackspace for 10 years, IT hosting. And you know, we, me and Daniel had a pre-conversation like, oh, a lot of people know Rackspace of the Oregon way in Oregon back, and on your side in Portland. But I know that they're trying to do something similar and I don't think they were successful. So you did it at a much larger company, much larger firm. What did, how did you even start that? So, so anybody at any company that's like, you know, I have a lot of people here. We can do an investing club. I'm sure you had some a nice rigmarole you had to work through, but tell mm-hmm. us about that process. One thing that I want to start with is one of the things that I do mentoring in or coaching in is helping people to start real estate clubs at their place of business. I've helped several people with that. I'm working with somebody over at Nike doing that too. So it's an innovative way, I think, of growing your audience because people at large corporations, you know, they have their lunch hour. They're often Skyping into meetings. Intel, all of our meetings are through Skype. And so, you know, the team might be geographically distributed. But basically what I did was I said, first of all, I got my mindset straight. And I said, I'm going to do this and I'm going to figure out how to do it. Second thing that I did was I found the correct HR people to talk to. And believe me, that was a lot more difficult than I thought it would be. And I I never quite got an, an affirmative, yes, you can go ahead and do this. So it was always, it was never quite, I never had someone give me permission. I decided I was going to do it. Mm-hmm. And the other thing that I did is when I came to HR, Intel has a stock investment club and we had a startup investment club and there was no real estate investment club. Yeah, I, I just went go. into HR and said, Hey, we've got a stock investment club. We've got a, re- we've got a startup investment club. I want to run the real estate investment club. And they went, okay, sure. (laughs) (laughs) So now having said that, I started up with, I found the thing that was most difficult for me was that, of course, at a big company like that, you need to stay compliant with all of the HR regulations. You have to do it correctly. Yeah. So one of the things that we were not allowed to do was we were not allowed to advertise. We were not allowed to you know, put up flyers or do any of that sort of thing. That's, that sounds very SEC compliant ish. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So you're like we, and for those that don't know, if you're doing a 506B reg D and offering, you don't advertise for your investments either. So anyways, it kind of goes in line with our compliance, but anyways, go ahead. And then the, the other thing is, of course, we need to be able to find great guest speakers and let them know that, Hey, you can come in and speak, but this is educational only, no sales pitches. Mm-hmm. HR does not want to have their employees pitched to by people. It should be about the employee's growth, 
their ability to grow as a real estate investor or whatever your club happens to be. And I should say Intel's very well known for having clubs. I mean, there's an Intel choir, there's a Lego club, there's a robotics club, there's uh, lots of environmental clubs that are doing great things for the environment. Um, So there's a lot of, there's a community garden outside the uh, the f- building. I'm in a building with about 5,000 people and there's a community garden there. Yeah. So it's it's a really good workspace. And it's entirely possible that not every work environment will support something like this. Mm-hmm. And knowing that and finding the right people at HR to talk to, to get it started, and particularly when things go wrong. You know, I've, I've had guest speakers come in and be a little heavy-handed on the sales pitch. Yeah. And, you know, then you get people complaining and you need to know the right people to go to at HR to say, you know, here's what we did in order to keep this from happening. Here's how we're going to mitigate it in the future. You know, let's have a conversation and make sure that we continue adding value to the employees' lives. Yeah. And for the first three to four months, I probably only had a dozen people. (laughs) There was one in particular that was really disheartening. We had Skype issues. I had like five people on the line and we couldn't get the guest speaker to come in. Uh-huh. <laughs> you're going to have, you know, days like that, especially when you're first starting. And then I gradually found the right people to help me promote the club internally. And since March of this year, March, we were getting, you know, maybe 30 so people. And by May, we reached 300 people. And in the last few months, I, I think we may have passed a thousand by now. Boom. Um, we were at 700 about two months ago. Boom. Nice work, so, man. Yeah. That's yeah. Awesome. We, on average, we hold meetings every Friday at noon Pacific time mm-hmm. and we get an average of 180 to 200 people on the line. Wow. That is yeah. awesome, man. Well, congratulations. The congratulations, man. I'm, I'm so happy to hear you persevere, determination, you know, you set your mind on what you were going to do. Sounds like a lot of the same steps that it probably took to get your first general partner deal, my friend. (laughs) Um, Slow going in the beginning. Yeah, man. Well, that's awesome, man. I appreciate, you know, just sharing. And for those that are listening, you know, if you set that goal, make up your decision, make up your mind and then go after it. Daniel laid out some very practical steps. So hit rewind, listen to those again, one, two, three, four, and go do that and just go implement it. So that's a great way to do it. Is there anything we didn't talk about today? Anything else you wanted to share? Just that I love having discussions with people who are looking, you know, to start their career in multifamily investing and people that want to just invest passively. So, you know, go over to winmultifamily.com slash investor mm-hmm. and uh, fill out the form and get in touch with me. And I'd love to talk to you. Uh, is that the best way for you know everybody to reach out to you that way? Yes. Yeah. So winmultifamily.com. And uh, that is our community site. And my business site is Alon Capital. It's A-A-L-O-N capital.com. And of course, I have the Win Multifamily Show. And you can just search for Win Multifamily Show on Stitcher and Spotify, Apple, et cetera. That's awesome. And in the, the podcast show, Multifamily, Commercial Real Estate, I haven't seen you know like a ton of them, but I've seen a couple of your snips from like LinkedIn and you've had some mm-hmm. really good quality guests on the show. I'm excited for you. Thanks. You know, that's one of the things that there was another mindset problem that I had to overcome was just knowing that I can reach out and talk to, to anybody. We had the director of acquisitions at Fannie Mae come in as a guest speaker for our Intel group. And I went and contacted them. 
And when you set your goals high, you're going to achieve. <laughs> hey, man, so. that's, that's awesome. Well, thank you, Daniel, so much for your time. We really appreciate it. I want to take more time than we allotted, but I just, I sincerely appreciate the time. And again, for everyone, my name is Abel Pacheco. I'm your host for the Five Talents Podcast. If you heard something today that brought you value, and I know it did, you need to go to the Apple podcast, leave us a five-star review, put a note in for Daniel on what you liked the most today and reach out to him. He would love to have you in your his world as well. So we appreciate it. And thanks for uh, listening to the show. Thank you, everyone. Bye, everyone. Thank you so much for listening to this episode of the Five Talents Podcast. I'm your host, Abel Pacheco. Each week, we're going to bring you interviews from other industry experts and commercial real estate investors who followed their dreams and achieved massive success. If you enjoyed this episode, then you're going to want a copy of our Passive Investor's Guide, Tackling Commercial Real Estate the Easy Way. It's the guide we use to invest in $93 million of commercial real estate. It's a 65-page ebook. It's a great resource to learn the basic mechanics of multifamily syndications. And we're going to show you how to evaluate your next passive investment opportunity. So if you subscribe to our podcast now, leave us a review and a rating, I'm going to give you a free copy. So take a moment to do that now. We'd appreciate it. And then you can register for the book at 5tcre.com forward slash ebook, 5tcre.com forward slash ebook. Let us know and we're going to send you a copy. Thank you so much for subscribing to the Five Talents Podcast.